Hello, and welcome law firm owners to a new episode of the Wildly Successful Law Firm Podcast. I'm your podcast host, Nermeen Chasani, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Just a really quick overview of how today is going to go. I am going to share with you some really interesting facts and stats about uh, lawyers and their debt and their actual hourly wage and all of that stuff. And then we're going to have a very interesting conversation with Roe Thomas. Roe is a lawyer turned financial coach for lawyers. And in this conversation, we are going to talk about the two questions that she is asked most often by lawyers that she coaches around their finances. And finally, before we go into the meat of today's episode, I wanted to remind you if you haven't already taken a moment to purchase the Lawyer's Annual Planner. It's a planner that I created for lawyers like you. It's on sale at at Amazon for $45. Honestly, you've probably spent $45 on dumber things than this planner. This planner is what you actually need to have a wildly successful year. The way I call it is it's basically having Nermeen in your pocket. So go ahead and follow the link in the show notes on how to get it. Or if you are on Amazon, just search for my name, Nermeen, N-E-R-M-I-N, and the word planner, P-L-A-N-N-E-R, and it will pop up after you see some very annoying Amazon ads. So all of that being said, let's get into today's episode and I want you to first understand why I'm creating this episode. So the first two episodes of this year were about money and that is intentional because I always like starting out the year talking about money. This is where you get to set your goals of how much you wanna make, what you're gonna charge to make that amount of money and how much you wanna work to make the amount of money that you want to make this year. So we wanna make sure that your goals are realistic and not that they are so impossible to achieve or that they are in any way going to be a hindrance for you achieving these goals. So as we, as I was thinking about what episodes I wanted to publish this year, this was one of the more important ones because there's a lot of feelings around money. There's a lot of bad information about money. There's a lot of ego when it comes to money, which is I'm a lawyer, I'm smart enough to handle my money myself, or a lot of guilt, oh, I should have saved more, or I should have paid off more of my debt, or I should be working at a different job, or just just all the shitting that we do on ourselves when it comes to money. I wanna have an honest conversation about it, and I also want to. I want you to see it from a consultant's perspective. Now, I will tell you that I work with many attorneys who consistently will reinvest whatever extra money they make in their law firm back into their law firm. And here's what that looks like. They made an extra 40 or 50 grand in profit this year, and instead of taking that money and paying down a student loan or um, putting money aside in a college savings account or, you know, buying something that's that's not a beat up car or whatever it is, they are so quick to hire someone. And they're going to hire another attorney, another an office manager, uh, someone else who they think is going to somehow 
wave a magic wand as soon as they are hired and either help them make more money or take away all of their problems and their stresses at the office. And nine times out of 10, no, 10 times out of 10, it is never that easy. And I would probably say it's 50-50 on whether or not they're actually going to make your job easier or if they're going to help you make more money. So now let's take the argument of, well, I need people in the office to do more work so that I can bill more. That is based on the assumption that you have enough work for someone who's full-time. Most of the time what happens is your work ebbs and flows. So you'll, you're probably on a backlog of work, maybe that's still dragging since last year. And so you're thinking to yourself, I'm gonna hire someone new this year and they're going to help me make more money because I will have cleared all that backlog and then I will be able to say yes to everyone who's coming in. When in reality, you've probably said no to a handful of people, not a hundred. And anytime you hire someone new, especially if it's another attorney, they need to, you need to already be able to see, I'm gonna be able to have 100 clients for them or 100 hours of work every single month for them or 100 new cases for them to fully work on themselves. That doesn't happen. And I think you often assume, okay, I have this much work, but if you actually sat down, especially if you have a task list or a task manager and went through, what work you actually have that needs to be done, you would see that you don't actually need to hire someone else, right? So there is this assumption of I'm going to hire someone and they are going to help me make more money. So you are reinvesting into your business. And I, like I said, 50-50, it works, it doesn't work. 50% of the time, the person doesn't work out. The other 50% of the time, you overestimated how much work you thought you had and now they are not being utilized to their maximum as you would have hoped and then you feel bad about yourself and you know you you introduce more blame guilt feeling bad about yourself into the mix so i almost want you to think about this from the perspective of diversifying i would rather you take that additional profit that comes out of your business and diversify. Because all too often I see these attorneys who have been working for years and years in their practice and they keep reinvesting into their business by hiring new people, getting a bigger office, buying fancier equipment, you know, whatever it is, they keep putting that money back into their practice. And then when I say, okay, so like, why are you so stressed out right now? Why do you constantly feel like you need more clients? Oh, well, I need more clients because I've got this debt here, I've got that thing there, I've got this and I've got that, and it's just a lot of outstanding things that they haven't done. Um, and that could also mean feeling like they haven't invested enough in their retirement or hearing from another lawyer who is now investing in five commercial properties and they're starting to feel bad and wondering how this other lawyer is doing better than they are, right? And we get into that kind of comparison game. First of all, it's all normal. There's nothing wrong with you that you're doing this. Every attorney does this, every human does this. There's no special magic formula to stop doing this, right? The only thing that you can do is just be aware of, oh cool, look, I'm comparing myself to that person and that's cool. Like, And then just move on for it and don't make it into a whole 
thing about who you are or what a failure you are, any of that, just, just acknowledge that it's there and then you can let it go. The next thing I would say here is as a consultant, I want you to start thinking about diversifying outside of your practice. So for the same reason that you would think if your friend came to you and said, I have 100% of my stock portfolio in Apple, or I have 100% of my retirement in my in my restaurant, and if this doesn't work, I am going to be a total failure. I'm gonna to have to move back, move in with my in-laws, whatever that conversation is. If a friend told you that, you would be like, what is wrong with you? Do not put 100% of your money into this one thing. Don't you know about diversification? I want you to apply that same advice to your life. And I want you to pause and think, how much of your money have you invested outside of your law firm in the last year? Okay, and then how about the year before that? And then how about the year before that, right? If all you are doing in your law firm is running it and hiring more people and moving into bigger offices and buying bigger equipment, and you're not investing it in your own savings account, your own retirement account, or in other investments outside of the practice of law. I'm not saying that these are the only places you can invest your money. You can invest in real estate if you want. You can invest in uh, other businesses if you want. There are a lot of different places that you can go with this, but if you are not investing outside of your law firm, then you are looking at it through tunnel vision, and I want you to get a broader perspective. I do not want you to make the mistake that I see a lot of attorneys making, and I really want you to use this conversation and the advice that I'm gonna be sharing from Roe as something for you to see for yourself and ask yourself, how much am I investing? Because in my, my personal opinion, you should be investing no less than $10,000 a year outside of your law firm. I don't care how little you're making, you should be investing at least $10,000 outside of your law firm, whether that's just a CD or it's a it's investments in the market or it's a business with your cousin or whatever it is, right? Like you need to make sure that you are investing outside of your law firm every single year because the last thing I want is for something to happen in the market and you were relying 100% on your law firm to support your lifestyle. I want you to think if there was a pandemic, if something else happened and you had no money coming in from your law firm, would you be able to survive financially? Where would your money be coming from? Do you have assets that you could sell to then support you during this time? And it doesn't even matter if there's a pandemic. Maybe you have a family member who's very sick and now instead of working 40 hours a week, you're down to 10 and you're not bringing in as much money, which means, by God, I hope you had assets set aside for a rainy day that you are able to take and sell so that you can live off of it during this time. I really want you to start this is not doomsday planning. This is healthy business owner planning. You cannot expect your one law firm to support you and a team of people without you then setting aside money for a rainy day. So 
I really want you to, to understand that that's where this conversation is coming from. And if you take nothing away from this, then take away the fact that Nermeen wants you to take $10,000 and put it into something else that's not your law firm this year, okay? The next thing that we're gonna talk about here is a, a really interesting statistic that I found. And this is from Reuters. So about 80% of lawyers believe that every dollar that they invest in their firm will yield a significant return. And I want you to know that even though lawyers believe this, it doesn't mean it's actually accurate. It doesn't mean that for every dollar that you invest in your law firm, you're going to make a dollar 20 or a dollar 40 or a dollar 80 or $2, right? That is not guaranteed and you may believe that but it's not guaranteed because i know so many attorneys who have gone through and built websites and not had any money any increase in clients come in because they have a new website i know so many who hired an seo team and the quality of clients that they got in resulted in them turning off seo i know so many attorneys who set up instagram accounts hired Instagram social media managers and when they actually looked at the return on investment of what they spent on that social media manager to the number of new clients they got, it was a wash. They did not make any profit from that, meaning they spent $3,000 over three months on this Instagram person and they got in two clients at $1,500 a piece, $3,000, it's a wash. You didn't make any money, you didn't lose any money, right? When you net even, that is not a significant return. If you spend a dollar and make a dollar five cents, I would argue that's not a significant return. So I want you to be really cognizant of where you invest your dollars in your firm. And this is why I'm telling you that if you took a dollar and put it into the market at a 7% on average return rate, you would make seven cents. Does that beat the dollar five that you would make if you invested it into your law firm ask yourself these questions before you make these really big commitments into your law firm now the next part that i want to go to here is um, the questions that ro has so kindly answered for us and for you listeners um, of this podcast because I'm, I'm going to go through, give you a quick little bio intro of her, and then I'm going to share with you the, the top two questions she, get asked, she gets asked most as a financial coach for attorneys. So uh, Ro Thomas is an attorney and financial coach who believes that true wealth is having control of your time. She helps lawyers master their personal finances to create freedom and choice in their lives. She also hosts the Wealthy-esque podcast where she shares strategies each week for lawyers to improve their money mindset and manage their money to achieve true wealth. Thank you so much for sending that information in, Ro. You're also welcome to catch up with her online on her website, www.rothomas.com, and on LinkedIn. Just search Ro Thomas and you will see her pop up on LinkedIn. Go follow her. By the way, it's free to follow people, so go follow her. All right, so here is question number one that she gets asked by lawyers frequently. Money always feels tight at the end of the month. It never feels like there's enough. 
How do I get ahead when it feels like I don't make enough? Her answer, the first thing I want you to do is get a clear picture of what's actually going on with your finances. Let's get some data to work with because feelings aren't facts. Do you actually not make enough or does it feel that way because you're not managing your money intentionally? To get the answer to that question, look at how much you made in the last month or so versus how much you spent and where you spent it. Often, we have no idea where our money is going and we're actually spending more than we realize. For example, most of my clients are spending way more eating out than they realized when they first come to me. So get a good sense of what's happening with your money and whether it's objectively true that you don't make enough. You might find that you actually make enough, but some of your spending choices make it feel like you don't. With that knowledge, you can decide how to proceed. It never hurts to make more money, but whether you decide to make more or not, you want to make sure that you're being intentional about how you're managing your money so that you get to benefit from the money that you make rather than letting it all slip through your fingers. I agree with this wholeheartedly. Roe is absolutely correct. Most attorneys that I work with don't know where their money is going and so often they're scared to look at their bank statement, to look at their credit card, to look at the, uh, the monthly reporting from the bookkeeper. They get it. They know they have access to that information, but they're scared to click on it because they don't want to know where they're spending. And that I think is very, very scary. I do not want you to be in fear of what you're spending because you're never going to get around those feelings of I don't make enough. I'm not good enough because I'm not making as much as Sally or Scott from law school or from big law or wherever, right? I want you to be able to move past those feelings and the way that you can do it is exactly what Rose suggested, which is data. Okay, let's talk about her next question here, which is the second most common question that she gets from attorneys. Question number two, I have a bunch of credit card debt and student loans that's stressing me out. It feels like a weight on my shoulders. What's the best strategy for paying them off? Rose answer. One of my favorite things to do with my clients is to look at the, all the good things that have come from their debt. We get a lot of messages from society about how bad debt is, but is it really? Just because some random person decided it is? Now, I'm not saying to just go rack up all the debt, but I am saying that you don't have to feel bad about having debt. You made the best decisions you could with the information you had at the time you took out the debt. There is no need to beat yourself up about it now. So thinking about that might help you with the stress of it all. But to answer your actual question, I really like the debt snowball method, which is where you pay your debts off from smallest to largest balance, regardless of the interest rate. The reason I like it so much 
is you get quick wins that motivate you to keep going. For example, my husband and I had over $470,000 of student loans spread out across 17 or 18 different loans, but the smallest one was $1,500, and the next was maybe $2,000, and then $4,000, and so on, until we got to the five-figure and six-figure ones. Paying off those smaller balances felt really doable, so we focused on those one at a time. We got paid in full letters almost every month for a number of months in a row, which felt really good. By the time we got to the five-figure ones, we had a bunch of wins under our belt that gave us proof that what we were doing was working. Plus, with each loan or credit card you pay off, you no longer have to pay that minimum payment, which means you free up that money to go toward the next debt. So you pay that one off even faster. And there's nothing to say that you can't pay your debts off in a different order if you want to. Sometimes there may be a particular loan or credit card that feels worse than others. For example, one of my clients had one that her mom had co-signed, and it was really important to her to get that one paid off quickly, even though it wasn't the smallest. Then she went back to pay the rest off from smallest to largest balance. That's okay. Personal finance is personal, so there's no one-size-fits-all strategy that everyone must follow. Okay, Ro, this was such a great question and an even better response. I know a lot of attorneys feel bad that they still have credit card debt and that they have student loan debt. It makes them feel like they are doing something wrong by having that debt or that they're not making enough money, even though a lot of them are making 200000 300000 400000 a year, and they still feel so guilty about that credit card debt and the student loan debt. But I'm going to share with you some really interesting stats here. So nearly 75% of all lawyers in the United States have student loan debt. 75%, so you're in good company. A lot of us have student loan debt. There is nothing to feel guilty about. This is like saying 75% of lawyers drink coffee. Do you feel bad about drinking coffee? No, it's what works for you. It gets you up in the morning. It makes you excited to see your clients and your team. It helps you get those really tough briefs done. Coffee is great, right? So it, I want you to kind of look at it from the same perspective. Like if 75% of all lawyers in the US have student loan debt, the problem is not you, right? The problem was the cost of education, the problem is the very high interest rates, and the problem is that, you know, as, a, as in the US, we don't have a great payment system for these student loans. So all of that being said, I also want you to know 
that as you are paying off your student loans, it doesn't mean that you should stop enjoying fun things, never go to a concert, never travel on vacation, you know, never buy yourself a new suit. I know so many attorneys who just go so extreme when it comes to paying things off that you forget to give yourself the little enjoyments in life. And I'm not saying enjoy your life 24 seven, you know, do a bunch of drugs, drink a bunch of alcohol, have sex all the time. I'm certainly not saying that, but you do need some form of enjoyment in your life. And you cannot just not enjoy your life until you've paid off all of that debt. It's not a realistic way to live. It's not a fun way to live. And you're very quickly going to hate your life and and feel even more miserable than maybe you already are. So I definitely don't want you to do that. Enjoy yourself. Understand that like law school was a good debt. It allows you to make a lot of money and have a very respectable profession. I want to share a story here about a question that I saw um, on a Quora forum. And it was an attorney who made a comment that said, you know, I was talking to my plumber and my plumber makes $99 an hour and I'm so tired of people thinking that attorneys make gazillions of dollars. And I also feel bad now that when I look at how much I make on average as an associate in a law firm, it's $75 an hour instead of $99 an hour as this plumber makes. I'm sure you have thought that at some point. I'm sure you get upset when you work with consultants like me and we charge you know, $300, $400 an hour. I'm sure you get upset when you, if you are considering working with a coach and they say every session is $500 an hour or $500 per session. I think that as attorneys, we have to realize that there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to comparing your hourly rate to other professions. You know, a plumber versus a lawyer, you're getting to be behind a computer or in a courtroom in a suit most of the day. You are not cleaning up someone else's shit or uh, touching toilets that other people's grossness has touched, right? So it's a completely different profession level and like what you do on a day-to-day basis is very different. And I don't know a lot of lawyers who would want to become plumbers, but I'm sure there's probably more plumbers who would be willing to become lawyers just based on what they do on a day-to-day basis. Now, the second thing also is don't get into the comparison game of, oh, well, I'm only making 75 an hour and they're making 99 an hour. What you are assuming is that this plumber is working all eight hours of each day, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., billing $99 an hour times, you know, six days a week or five days a week. If you look at the plumber's actual schedule, they're not getting to bill for all of that day, just like you don't. And they are driving to places. They have to physically be present with whatever you know equipment has gone down. And they're not able to do anything virtually or remote. 
And it's just not an apples to apples argument, right? Like it's very different. This the plumbers might be working 20 hours. And even if they're making 99 an hour at 20 hours, they're still not, you know, working or making as much as you are. Now I'm certainly not knocking on plumbers or anyone who is blue collar. Trust me, I have a lot of respect for people who are blue collar and I spent quite a few years being in blue collar myself, so that's not where I'm coming from. What I want you to get from this conversation is that at some point you have to stop comparing yourself to what others are doing and just acknowledge, hey, look, I'm comparing myself to someone else and that's cool and just keep moving with your day. Don't then take the time to post on Quora and kind of be gripey about it, right? Like, hey, why am I not making more? This plumber's making $99 an hour, didn't go through three years of law school or have to sit through the bar or deal with so-and-so professor or whatever, right? Come from a place of, this is great. I'm so glad that this plumber is able to make $99 an hour. Now, what can I do in my business to take myself from 75 an hour to 125 an hour? Where can I look to increase my rates? Where can I look to um, work with different kinds of clients who don't complain about my $300 or $400 an hour that I want to charge, right? I want you to think more in terms of solutions instead of focusing on the problem. So that is everything for this conversation around debt. I want you to know that you know, if you ever need support, you can definitely reach out to Row around um, financial debt questions that you might have. And I hope that you do. Go follow her podcast. Go follow her on LinkedIn. Send her an email, right? Like go reach out to Row if you're really struggling with this. And I want you to know that, again, the one thing I want you to do this year, take some money and don't just invest it back in your law firm. Be diversified. Have savings accounts have rainy day funds, have investments, so that if you decide to stop working as a lawyer, you are now able to support yourself in your lifestyle and you have things that you have set up in place while you are practicing law so that when you're not practicing law, you're no longer worried about where the money is gonna come from. All right, my friends, that is everything for today's podcast episode. Remember, if you haven't gone and gotten the planner yet, go ahead onto Amazon and get your copy of the planner. I promise it's going to change your life. And I forgot to mention this earlier in the episode, but um, if you buy the planner and you don't like it 90 days later, just send me an email. I won't ask any questions. I will refund you your money. So that is my promise to you. I promise it's going to change your life. I promise you're going to get a lot of use out of it. And if you don't, return it back. I'm not going to ask any questions and I'm not going to make you feel bad. I will just give you your money back and say thank you very much. All right, my friends, that's everything for today's episode. And uh, I will be back in a few weeks with a new episode. Bye, lawyers.